you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, welcome to another exciting version of our podcast. Version. There's no versions to this podcast. There's only one version, the Chris Voss Show. That's why you should always recommend it to your friends, family, and relatives. The Chris Foss Show, the family that loves you but doesn't judge you. Maybe slightly. I don't know. Depends on if you meet me in person and if you're wearing Crocs or not. Anyway, uh, oh, crap. We just lost Crocs or a sponsor there. <laughs> they never, uh, you know what? They probably would sponsor the show. I don't know. They're always welcome. We're just giving you. We're just uh, we're just giving jokes to the Crocs people. You guys make fine luxury shoes. Anyway, guys, uh, be sure to go to LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all those crazy places those kids are playing. Refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Tell them to sign up and uh, get on the show. Today we have an amazing author on the show. We only have amazing authors. We put them in the Google machine. Uh, amazing authors, and then we invite them on the show, and they come out with their latest, hottest books. They come to a steaming right off the bookshelves. Uh, but only wherever fine books are sold. I'm not sure why you would be in a bookstore where the books are steaming. That might be bad. Check your fire alarms. Anyway, guys, uh, he is the author of the newest book that just came out September 20th, 2022, Warhol Capote. That's one word. A nonfiction invention. Warhol Capote. Capote. Let me get that right because I, I don't want to. I don't want people googling. <laughs> I don't want people googling Warhol Capote. That's one word. As the book title. So Warhol Capote, a nonfiction invention by Rob Roth. And he's on the show. As you've heard, he just intervened there in the background to uh, correct me on the correct title of his book. <laughs> so there you go. I just want to make I want to make people sure when they Google, you know, they Google correctly. Uh, Rob Roth was nominated for a Tony Award as best director for his Broadway de- debut, Beauty and the Beast. I think there was a story about me, wasn't it? No, I'm just kidding. It's not. Uh, which became one of the 10, top 10, longest-running musicals in Broadway history. The show has been seen by over 40 million people around the world, winning the Olivier Award. Is that Olivier Award? Olivier. For best Olivier Award. Clearly, I skipped drama class in high school. Uh, for the best musical in London, uh, Rob went on to direct the world premiere of Elaborate Lives, The Legend of Ada, uh, collaborating with Sir Elton John, he's amazing, and Sir Tim Rice. Uh, Rob directed the Broadway musical Lestat, based on the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles with a score by Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Wow, just a great uh, collaboration there, uh, especially, geez, writing, Bernie Taupin. Uh, Rob frequently directs rock concerts, collaborating with legendary artists, including Kiss, Alice Cooper, Dresden Dolls, Cindy Lauper, and guitar legend Steve Miller. I want to fly like an eagle. Rob is an avid collector of rock and roll graphics, and his collection is showcased in the coffee table book, The Art of Classic Rock. Rob, Rob and his husband, Patrick, live in New York City with their Labrador Retriever tag. Welcome to the show, Rob. How are you? I'm great, Chris. How are you? 
I like the introduction to your show. It's a little bit of kiss in there. Yeah, you, you got it. Oh, I love you, man. You got it. Uh, a lot of people don't get that uh, get that uh, correlation there. You wanted the best. You got the best. Kiss. Well, us members of the Kiss Army will definitely know. But you work with some great people and talented people. Uh, give us your plugs, your dot com, so people can find you on the interwebs. Uh, no, 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 there's no uh, internet presence for me. Wow. Uh, nope. Uh, you know, I'm too busy listening to music and listening to my records and collecting my posters, and I don't have time to do that. So, nope. There you uh, go. This is this is as most internet as I'm going to get, Chris. Well, you can go to Amazon or wherever fine books are oh, yeah. to pick up the book. Sure, so Amazon.com. Right, uh, we're the number one book today in plays. There I'm you very go. Happy to say, very congratulations. Thank you very much. So, what motivated you want to write this book? Uh, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'm going to tell it to you and. Um, Rosie O'Donnell is a friend of my husband's and mm. mine, and in 2007, she invited us to go on a, uh, they called them family cruises, so it was gay parents and their children would mm-hmm. go on a cruise for a week, mm-hmm. and when she asked me, I thought, mm, I don't like children, and I don't <laughs> want to be on a boat, <laughs> so I just said no, and when I told Patrick, oh, you know, Roe asked us to go on this cruise, but I said, no. He said, hey, you know, maybe you should have asked me before you declined. Uh, he was studying to be a uh, psychologist. Mm. Uh, he is now a doctor, but he was studying then. And he said, you know, I could really use a week on the boat. I could really study for my New York State medical boards. Mm-hmm. So I called Roe back and I said, you know, we're going to go. And she said, great. And I thought, what am I going to do on a boat for a week? Like, it just didn't have any appeal to me at all. Um, and so I bought myself a copy of the Andy Warhol Diaries by Pat Hackett, um, which came out in 1989, and I have read it 20 times. Mm-hmm. But uh, So I bought a brand new copy, brought it to the boat, and while, one night while we were in our cabin, I was on the balcony, uh, I read an entry, and it said, went to Truman's apartment, got six good tapes for the play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had read the diaries before this had never landed on me, you know? But now I'm like, wait a minute, play, tapes, what? Uh, and that started this whole big search uh, for me for did Andy and Truman actually make recordings together for a play? Uh, so I went to the Warhol uh, Foundation in New York City, and I spoke to Vincent Fremont, who was a friend of mine and was Andy's right-hand man all through the 70s and right up till his death. And I said, Vincent, do you remember anything about this, Andy, and talking about a play? And he went, yeah, yes, I remember them talking about it. But, you know, they talked about a lot of things, and they were kind of drunk. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who knows if they ever did anything. And anyway, all of Andy's tapes that he recorded are at the Warhol Museum. He put me in touch with someone there. And the archivist at the Warhol Museum said, yeah, we have 3,000. Holy crap. Yeah, holy crap. Uh, audio cassettes that are under embargo, we're not allowed to even look at them, until 2037. Why? Why? Uh, And he said, I can't tell you why. You have to go back to the board of directors of the Warhol Foundation. So I went to the board, the head of the board, his name's Joel Walks. He's still the head of the board. And Joel told me that when Andy died in 1987, they found all these 3,000 or more cassettes. And Andy recorded surreptitiously. So he had a recorder in his pocket. He called his Sony Walkman his wife. Wow. He said, the wife is with me. 
And he had it going for 10 years. He recorded everything. Uh, and in the 70s in New York State, that was illegal. Oh, okay. Right, one-way recording. So the lawyers for the Warhol Foundation decided just to embargo the tapes until 50 years after Andy's death and let lawyers in 2037 deal with it. <laughs> so my... Adventure was kind of finished before it started. And I was moping around the house. Wow. Uh, and I realized, oh, wait a minute. Truman knew he was being recorded. Yeah. Because they said they were working on a play. Yeah. So I, I called the Warhol Foundation back. I said, Joel, I don't mean to be a bother, but Truman knew he was being recorded. That means both of them knew. Does that change anything? And he said, you know, I don't know, but let me go back to the board and talk to the lawyers. <laughs> And unbelievable, my luck, the photographer Cindy Sherman and the filmmaker John Waters, Pink Flamingo's fame, hairspray, they were on the Warhol board and they were very adamant that I be allowed to pursue this. They thought, you know, hey, Rob is onto a piece of art that Andy was working on. We should help him try to find the tapes. So... Uh, I was given permission to hire someone to search through all 3,000 cassettes, just look at them. You couldn't play them. Uh, And they found 59 90-minute cassettes that said Truman in Andy's handwriting. Wow. Yeah. And so I got permission to digitize those tapes, court reporter transcribed those tapes, and I ended up with 80 hours of tape. And uh-huh. 8,000 pages of transcripts. Holy crap. Yeah. And then when I started listening to the tapes, and I was reading along, you know, the first five that I listened to were just them at a party. <laughs> like, you could barely understand anything on the tape. Sometimes you hear, like, uh, Truman say something to Andy or Andy say something to Truman, but they were just at a party. But Andy recorded it, put Truman on the thing. Then I got to maybe the 10th tape, which was then, I think it's Studio 54, because you could hear the (laughs) beat thing. And Andy says, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, Truman, we should work together. And Truman says, oh, that would be interesting. What should we do? And Andy says, we should write a Broadway play. So then my hair was standing up on my arms, you know? And they talk about what it should be about. And eventually Andy says, Truman, can't I just tape you? And can't the edited tapes be the play? And Truman said, that's exactly what we should do. Because Holy the, crap. the play will be both real and imagined. Oh. And if you look at the work of Andy Warhol and Truman Capote, their work is real and imagined. Andy took mm-hmm. a real picture of Mauro and Monroe and filtered it through his imagination, and it came out the Maurons. Mm-hmm. Truman Capote took the murder, a real murder of a family, the color family in Kansas, and filtered it through his imagination, and it came out in cold blood. Mm-hmm. I took their actual words, every single word in the play they spoke, just not in the order that I've put it in. So I made up conversations that never actually happened, oh. but every word of it they said. So okay. that's why I call it a nonfiction invention. So, uh, okay, so it's called The Nonfiction Invention. Uh, that was one of the questions I had for you uh, as to why you chose that title. Um, and and so basically you've, you've taken their words and, and almost like an editor turned it into a play. Yes. Is that correct? 
Wow. That's pretty uh, exciting. Thank you. It was really, they gave me the instructions on the tape and I put that into the play. So it really? starts with them talking about, Hey, we should work on a play and what we should do. So yeah, it's really kind of meta and kind of cool. Uh, and I feel like I did complete a work of art that they began together. Uh, and so I'm proud of that and uh, excited that the world gets to hear them in their own words. Isn't it interesting how in life, if you listen carefully, you, you discover these things? I mean, you really, you really tripped over something, you know, and, and just uh, serendipitously almost, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you found a way into that. And it's just amazing how that developed. It's, it's wild that the, the, the tapes are, are uh, you know, locked out. I mean, it sounds like the JFK, remember how JFK was like, was yeah. it locked out for 50 years or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one could talk about it. It's like, uh, what's going on there? Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching, speaking, and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out Chris Voss leadership Institute.com. Now back to the show. Uh, it's, and it's too bad more of that can't come to light. Uh, I'm really hoping that uh, as the play goes out into the world now, because it just got released this week mm -hmm. that someone will digitize the rest of the tapes. Even if we can't listen to them right now, they need to be preserved. Oh, so yeah. that's uh, um, something that the Warhol Museum and the Warhol Foundation are wanting to do, and I hope that I can help mm -hmm. them somehow find the money to at least preserve them, if not listen yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah, can been... you imagine what's on those tapes? Holy oh, cow. Andy Warhol in wow. the 70s. In New York, you know, wow. In <laughs> Studio be... 54, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And Hollywood, and you know, it's going to be just amazing. Yeah, um, there's, there's probably, probably all sorts of people on there. Oh, that's well, that's the whole problem. <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of people doing all sorts of '70s fun things. Well, I mean, uh, they weren't doing anything bad in the '70s in Studio 54. That was no, illegal. No, of course not. No, but it was some drugs or something. Some uh, yeah, Rolling Stones. There, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was some fun going on in the '70s. I hear. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, but no, this is really interesting. So um, it's turned into a play now. You're releasing it as a play. Uh, yeah, uh, we performed the play uh, at American Repertory Theater up in Cambridge at Harvard. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and now I hope that it will have productions all over all over the world. I hope. Nice. Um, it's a it's a nice simple two person play, uh, and you know they are of course two of the great geniuses of the 20th century, and so to hear them talking as the friends they were, uh, they became at some points very unguarded. You know, I think they forgot the tape recorder was there. Honestly. Oh. Uh, and so they get to talking about, you know, they talk about Liza and cocaine and all the things that you think they're going to talk about. Cocaine? Uh, In the 70s, uh, yeah. you say? Uh -huh. No way. <laughs> um, 
But they also talk about, you know, the pain of being an artist uh-huh. and what is the cost of making art mm-hmm. and why do you make art? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they were both, uh, even though they were super famous and very wealthy people, they were not happy people. <laughs> uh, and I think that they thought that if they worked really hard and put out a lot of art, that it would make them happy and maybe make them less odd. But fame didn't make them less odd. I think it made them more alone and more odd. Do you yeah. find that, Chris? Because you're famous. I, 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 well, kind of. Uh, you know, I found the more successful I got, uh, the more problems it actually created. And the more money you make, the, the more you... Um, the more it amplifies your your whatever your problems are that you got from childhood <laughs> and stuff, it's just and it, and and even worse, it can it can uh, what's the right words I'm looking for? It can codify your baddest your worst instincts to go to go. Well, I I clearly have money, so I I can't be wrong and a horrible person, and then you run with it. So yeah, you learn you learn things when you're young, but uh, you know I mean. Part of being an artist is 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 the suffrage. I'm trying to think of a For quote sure. that someone said about about you know being an artistry and examining yourself, navel and and the misery of it. I mean, what, what, who is it to cut off their ear? I'm, I'm this is yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's it's the suffrage of it. It's the it's the human experience, I suppose. And lots yeah, of I think that I think that a certain amount of suffering uh, does create art. I'm yeah. happy that I didn't. Uh, you know, they were geniuses and suffered a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy just to be mildly talented and only mildly suffering. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope it, just remember it gets better. As I always tell people. The, uh, so this is really great. I mean, you poured through, uh, what, 80 hours of tapes yeah. or more. Yes. What is that like trying to compress that? How long is the play? It's about uh, 90 minutes, 85 minutes. And so what's, what's it like to try and compress that all and edit that all down? That's a hell of an editing job there. Yeah. Um, it was because I didn't have a deadline, right? Mm-hmm. This is my own project, my own idea. I didn't even know when I got the tapes if I was going to be able to make a play. Mm-hmm. So I decided to just enjoy it. Like, uh, I'm the only person in the world that's heard these tapes. Yeah. Both the foundations were very, very serious. Like, hey, you cannot play these for anybody. You know, there's a lot of other people. Did you have to hire a special sets. master? A special master to guard me? No, a special master. Is, it's a it's a legal term we've all learned recently by a certain president, uh, where they have to hire a, a special FBI person or judge in between that listens to the tapes and. Uh, or, no, uh, I didn't. I, I got direct access to listen to them myself. <laughs> I guess I was the master. <laughs> you were the special master. There you go. Uh, so it was really cool. I, um, I'm lucky enough to have a beach house out on Long Island. And I went out there and I had my headphones on and the transcripts. And I just listened and kind of circled things that I thought were interesting. And what was interesting to me was personal things. And I went like, uh, and fun. And they were really funny too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that. That took about almost a year. Uh, and then I went back and listened to it again a second time and really highlighting sections, you know. 
And I ended up pulling out of the tapes 222 sessions. And I named them, you know, Studio 54, mm-hmm. Lotissa, Art, Cocaine, Sex, you know, all whatever. All the good things. Yeah, all the good things. I gave everything a, a, a very short title and put them on index cards. So I had 222 index cards. And I started shuffling the cards like, okay, this seems like the beginning of a scene. This seems like, oh, the end of a scene. This seems like the end of the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I knew that I wanted to move from lighter friendship kind of conversation to more personal. And so I, I arranged the cards into an order that I liked. And then I ended up going back to the transcripts and pulling out those sections and making a draft of the play. I think I did that probably 20 times wow. before I felt like I was ready to have a reading with two actors. And you know, when you hear actors read it, you learn a lot. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. You know, actors bring um, their humanity to it. And they would say, oh, this feels part of the conversation. It feels like we're jumping. And so I mm-hmm. go back and find a linking piece of conversation. And so I did that a lot um, until I wound up with what we have now and is in the book, uh, which is uh, you know, an 85-minute version of this play. Um, and again, every single word they spoke. That is awesome. That is awesome. What, what actors did you go with uh, and, and why did you choose them? Um, we went with uh, Stephen Spinella, who won the two Tony Awards on Broadway for his mm-hmm. role in Angels in America, and Dan Butler. Who, yeah, he people know him from Frasier. Ah. He was the um, kind of um, obnoxious white sportscaster guy. <laughs> ah, there you uh, go. And Thank he was you. Andy, and Stephen Spinella was... And they were wonderful, really, really great. And they brought a lot to the play. They... Uh, so this is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, do you see the play moving to Broadway? Uh, I hope that it goes to Broadway or the West End or both. Um, I'm, a, I'm at the stage right now where I'm putting the play out in the world this week and I'm letting it go. Mm-hmm. And then what's going to happen is going to happen, I think. <laughs> right? Well, I think you have to trust. <laughs> Sometimes you got to let the universe decide. But, I mean, you've had great successful plays in the in the past, uh, so I'm sure this one is going to be amazing. And, of course, it has these uh, brand names oh, that everyone you. knows about and uh, are amazing artists. Wow, they and, do. I mean, have, you they, have, are, they are brand names. And you have something that is so unique. I mean, you're going to probably, you know, uh, I don't know if you're going to pass away in the next 50 or when, when does the tapes expire? 37? Uh, 2037. 2037. Yeah. I, you know, I, it would really, I, I'm with you. It would be really interesting if they could release those sooner. So what is that like? Uh, what is that? Uh, 35 yeah. or 15 years from now? Well, so we only have 15 years to wait. Yep. You're going to be able to walk around for the next 15 years going, I'm the only guy who's ever heard the private conversation. That's a, that's a hell of a badge of honor. Thank you. Uh, it, I feel very, very fortunate and very privileged. I had a big responsibility too. Yeah. That both the states trusted me mm-hmm. that I was going to not manipulate their words into something that they weren't oh. saying. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I was careful to be true to the spirit of their conversations. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I did, I think, was clear up, make them their conversations clearer. 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, Truman was drinking and doing a lot of drugs <laughs> in 1978. Are you so, sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I've seen and, those videos of them at the uh, what was the warehouse they had where they would uh, his warehouse where they would party and the, the factory. Yeah, the factory. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think that Andy was a big drug user, but he certainly was a drinker and not shy about it. Um, and so their conversations, you know, if two drunk people get together, mm -hmm. the conversation can kind of loop around and come back again. And, you know, and so I cleared it up. There you go. <laughs> uh, so I, I think I made them uh, a little bit clearer. Um, Maybe you should have called it uh, Warhol Capote, a nonfiction uh, sober invention. Yeah, you know, just... they were definitely not sober. Uh, and part of the story of the play, I think, is that at one point, Truman goes to rehab. Uh -huh. And he says, Andy, will you call me up? And Andy says, oh, of course I will. And he says, no, really, will you call me? Uh, and they get kind of serious. And Andy says, well, sure, of course I will, Truman. And Truman says, I wondered. Huh. Right, so it's so sad because they're friends, but still Truman is unsure. You know, wow. um, yeah. Um, and he did try to call him up and couldn't get through. They wouldn't. You're not allowed to talk to people in rehab. Oh wow! At the time your, you weren't, especially your partying friends. Yeah, for sure. Right, I would think that they <laughs> discourage that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny as hell. No, I, I just mean uh, the sober invention because you, you know, you edited it down. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I made them clearer. <laughs> I don't think I made them sober. Well, this is pretty amazing. The book is going to be amazing. Uh, hopefully, it will go on to win some of the awards and accolades that you, accolades that you've done there. Uh, I love what you did with Kiss and Elton John. I've seen both of them in private concerts with uh, JBL and and Harmon Carden. Uh, they do a and they do an annual uh, private concert where it's just a thousand of their favorite cool. people. And yeah. uh, I've seen both of them uh, very intimately, like and uh, just just extraordinary musicians. And of course, I grew up there. With listening to both of them endlessly. Yeah, well, me too. So, like, for me, the as an artist, it's kind of crazy. I've I've been working with Alice Cooper, mm -hmm. Elton, uh, Steve Miller. These people kiss. Their posters were on my bedroom wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So uh, that feels really, really amazing. And I'm and and then you know I've been Andy and Truman not since I was a kid too. Like, just obsessed with them. And so to get to have my name on a play with them uh, is really kind of pinch yourself time. Oh, yeah. uh, it really is. Um, and yeah, and everybody go see the Kiss Farewell Tour, uh, End mm -hmm. of the Road. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we blow up a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's so funny because I have like Kiss tour books and tickets and shirts from the Kiss farewell tour. I think in the how old am I in the two thousands? Yeah, when they it was when they put the makeup back on. They started yeah. re redoing the makeup. So how long that is? It's probably a long time ago. Shameful. It was in ninety seven. I think it's in ninety seven. Oh my god! Mm -hmm. I was trying to fudge there in the two thousands. But yeah, I mean, I grew up when all that stuff was big on the radio, even the tail end of Cyndi Lauper, uh, right. Steve Miller, Fly Like an Eagle. I remember when that was played ad nauseum on FM radio. You know, it's still uh, Yeah, and it should be. Uh, oh, yeah, it's the it's, greatest music ever. It's so funny how all of today's music samples that era of music. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Kiss, 
uh, I remember, you know, I, I, I spent my teenage years in Utah. And so, you know, kiss it was the Knights of Satan's service or something. Yeah. Like all that. All <laughs> People are like, you're part of the devil. And, you know, Alice Cooper, of course, uh, on there, I, I first saw Alice Cooper on schools out for summer with the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. I awesome. was like, cool. The Muppets are satanic. When I first met Alice, Mm -hmm. uh i his manager chef gordon flew me over to london to have dinner with him to talk about directing a tour and alice and i went shopping because he likes to shop yeah so we went to camden town market which is north london and we found a video booth that was selling bootleg videotapes of concerts and we found the billion dollar babies tour video really yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, you know, my parents wouldn't let me go. I was too young, you know. And so we bought it. Or actually, the guy gave it to us because they, they recognized it was Alice. And we're going back to the hotel. And Alice said, do you know, I've never seen it. I've never seen my I've seen pictures of myself, but I've never actually seen the film of the Billion Dollar Baby Story. Do you want to watch it? So I'm like, yeah, yes, please. You know? Yeah, so we go back to his room and we walk, we sit down, we pop the tape in. And the concert starts with a song called Hello, Hooray. And he comes out in a leotard and it's like all blood stained <laughs> in the crotch area. And he's holding a bottle of Jack Daniels and he kind of lurches to the front of the stage. And he said, oh, my, oh, wow. I, I really, this is degenerate. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yes. <laughs> and he said, That's hilarious. He said, I would never let my kids see this. Your parents were absolutely right not to do it. <laughs> and we were laughing and we watched a little bit more of it. And then honestly, he was a little disturbed by it. He's like, Serious? wow, this is really, I mean, he said, I wasn't that drunk. I was acting drunk, you know. Yeah. Um, he said I was a little drunk, but I wasn't that drunk. But um, and so then we were laughing about how my parents wouldn't let me go, and you know. And so he said, "Let's call your parents." <laughs> so I called my parents, <laughs> who they knew that I was in London meeting Alice, you know. Yeah. And he got on the phone. He said, "It's Alice. I have Rob now," <laughs> which was just awesome. He's so funny. He's just the he's the greatest greatest guy, and has become a really dear friend. Yeah, he's, I mean, he seems like years. a really nice guy. Oh, he is the you know. nicest man. He has the <laughs> nicest family. Married to the same woman. Married for, to the same woman forever. For a long, long time. Show yeah. And great children, not spoiled, not, you know, really cool. And he's a great artist, too. Uh, you know, still still touring. Um, and, yeah, he's really awesome. So, yeah, I feel super fortunate to have worked with Andy and Truman, even though they're dead, I did collaborate with them on this very personal piece of art, um, uh-huh. which is, you know, amazing. Yeah. The, uh, my, I, my parents were uh, Mormons, so they, I wasn't allowed to listen to, you know, satanic rock and roll. So right, I, had to, sure. I had to have tapes and I would hide them uh, in a vent system so that I could have my ACDC tapes and my kiss tapes and everything. Yeah. And does my, that make it better? <laughs> kind of, I think so. Like I don't know. Forbidden fruit thing. Yeah. I, and, and, uh, I remember my scout master used to loan me the records for Alice Cooper. 
and he had a whole collection and a lot of other records and stuff. And so I would take and play them when my parents were gone. And then I remember one time I bought a Motley Crue record, brought it home. It was it was Shout at the Devil. Yeah. And uh, my mom discovered it and it made me take it back to the store and trade it in. Oh, and uh, I, I went back a week later, bought, rebought the album and got my neighbor to tape it for me. You know, these are the days people don't, kids today, they don't understand the suffrage. Yeah. <laughs> they just well, go on there, turn the little iPods and. <laughs> yep. Different now. You know, having albums, um, I think you mentioned this in the introduction to me. To me. I have. Um, the biggest private collection of classic rock graphics of the world. I have probably oh, wow. 10,000 pieces. Yeah. Holy crap, dude. I've been collecting since I was a kid. Um, and then as an adult, it just got crazier and crazier. Now, you know, today I just got from the Netherlands, Alice Cooper, muscle of love promo poster, Netherlands only. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm like, I've never even seen it. I, I, you know, I doubt that Alice has seen it. Um, <laughs> So that's all kind of exciting, like, you know, and I'm such a big geek, like I'm sitting at my desk here and I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it up. Ah, awesome Rolling stuff. Stones, 1981 oh, wow. laminate backstage pass. Holy yeah, crap, awesome. dude. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, I've got, oh, and then I'm going to show you one more thing. When I was a kid, uh, I was part of the Journey. Journey. Crew. Are you really serious? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I was I was 17 years old and I wanted to interview Steve Perry. Do you know who Steve Perry is? Yeah. Singer, the greatest <laughs> singer in the world. Yeah. I wanted to interview him for my high school newspaper and Columbia Records laughed at me. They were like, they're, they're not going to talk to you. Sorry, really? you're in high school. And I said, hey, everybody at the concert last night was in high school. What do you mean they're not going to talk to me? I, I'm the reason there is journey. Yeah. And yeah. she laughed and she said, I'm going to call their manager. He's going to say no, but I'm going to make the call for you. And wow. instead, the manager, uh, Herbie Herbert, a very, very famous rock manager, oh, yeah. said, absolutely, have him come to the concert on Friday. Um, I'm going to be there. I want to meet this kid, too. And so I met Steve Perry and I did a short little interview with him. And then I met Herbie. Oh. Uh, and, you know, I was in theater and I wanted to know about how they moved the rock tour from city to city. And he said, you know, if you really want to know, uh, here's my card, call the office and you have to come to a load in at six o'clock in the morning and see how we put it all together. That was on a Friday night on Monday. My parents let me cut school, take the car and drive to Maryland, uh, and go to a load in. And I got a laminate and I was on the journey tour whenever I wanted from then on. Oh my God, dude. I'm yeah. so jealous. Um, yeah, it was cool. And you know, by nineteen eighty one they had the Escape album, which had five number one songs. Oh, yeah. And I was I was there. You know, wow. watched it explode. That um, is awesome, so man. It was cool. I learned a lot. I that was Herbie, that was so great. Herbie I, I, died this year. You and I both grew up in that era where that was that, that was, you know, every fifth song on the you know, uh, on the radio, you know. Yeah. Between Steely Dan and Journey and Journey was my favorite band. Uh, then I kind of moved to Rush, but Journey, it's always been Journey and Rush, those two. And now, now there's wow. a little bit of Metallica in there. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, Steve Perry, I was so, you know, I have a lot of issues with him leaving the band. And, and there's you a whole too. thing there. But, yeah, it's just an amazing singer. I mean, I can't even listen to New Journey. I, I, I just can't. I, I, can I, tell, I really don't either. I can tell the difference. I mean, you just can't, you just can't replicate Steve Perry or any great. No, you can't. Do you know what the difference is, in my opinion? Hmm. Heartbreak. Yeah. Steve Perry, for whatever 
personal issues he had or has, there is heartbreak in his voice mm. that when he sings, it connects to people in a way that I think Judy Garland had it mm -hmm. too. Like there's some kind of singers and they have something in their makeup. Um, and you know, we were talking about Andy and Truman. They were very heartbroken people too. Yeah. There, there's something, uh, and though it's very hard on the artist, it can make for great art. You know, when I first saw Steve Perry, uh, a friend brought me to a Journey concert in 1980, departure tour. I had heard Any Way You Want It, maybe on the radio, that's it. <laughs> uh, be, seeing him sing live was, oh my God, it was like seeing, mm -hmm. I don't know, a, a, the eighth wonder of the world. It was like something incredible. Uh -huh. um, and I know, I think I've been to a hundred Steve Perry Journey shows probably. And he sang great every single time. Um, and I would venture to guess part of the reason why he stopped is it hurts to sing with that much heartbreak. Oh yeah. And he's got a right. great range too. Yeah. Amazing range. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was so, heartbroken. I've tried, I, I loved his solo work, a little bit of solo work. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. The recent uh, album, I wasn't that a big fan of. No, his voice sounds good though. The, yeah. I didn't love the songs weren't as good as the journey song. Yeah. I think you nailed it. The heartbreak wasn't there. The real heart is, isn't in it. I don't know. Uh, amazing. Amazing artist. <laughs> Steve Perry, if you're hearing this, please come sing live, sing anything, S sing Gershwin songs. You that's know, kind of, that's kind of what I missed about Steve and, and kind of why I was irked a little bit is because he just disappeared. And, and I love yeah. his solo work. Uh, in yep. fact, I have a lot of private things. You know, it's funny. We've we as we've gotten old, we've uh, we've all done this thing where we we collect all of our stuff. Like I have a huge rush. Uh, I think some journey uh, collections and albums and you know stuff yep. that just. Oh yeah, I, well I've gone to an extreme. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you have, man. Uh, yeah, as we go out, uh, how was it? What was it like working with Sir Elton John and uh, Bernie Taupin? Am I pronouncing that uh, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Elton and Bernie were wonderful. Uh, mm -hmm. We worked, we adapted the Anne Rice musical, uh, Anne Rice book, The Vampire Lestat. Um, the production itself on Broadway was halfway successful to me. We didn't totally nail it. Elton and Bernie nailed it, though. The songs are, wow, gorgeous. Um, they're just lovely yeah. and talented and, uh, and you know, uh, my mom and dad scalped tickets for me to go see Elton John when I was 11 at mm -hmm. Madison Square Garden in New York in 1976. And I got to lean on the stage, uh, you know, in the front there. And um, then to be working with him, you know, pretty crazy uh, and unbelievable. And he's been a dear friend and a, like a real friend. Uh, you know, uh, I remember, I mean, Elton John was just always on the radio when I was growing up. And of course, uh, there may be some of the, there may be some Elton John in some of those uh, Andy Warhol tapes, maybe. Uh, they talk about Elton John in the play. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think he was at Studio 54, too. Or there he was, was, yeah. yeah. Uh, Angie says, I went to Madison's Regard to see Elton John, and my God, is he fat. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> that right. So I did. Uh, he said he was wearing a silver skin-tight caftan, and mm -hmm. he was fat, but the audience loved him. <laughs> yeah. There, there's something oh. about singers that, that can sing 
with that level of heartbreak and just convey the message well. Uh, you know, one of my favorite, I, I grew up in the age of, of course, where uh, John Lennon was assassinated. And uh, Empty Garden is one song that will always come back to me about Elton John uh, because it was such a beautiful uh, uh, dedication to to John Lennon and beautiful and lyric there. from Bernie uh, and beautiful performance from Elton. Yeah, really, yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. amazing. It, and and just a touch, and you mentioned Judy Garland. Uh, Judy Garland took that song uh, somewhere over the rainbow, and I remember seeing her on Carson talking about it. And back then, they had to pay her because she was in so much debt to the, uh, I think, the IRS. But right. she talked about it, and I I can't remember if she'd gotten over alcoholism at the time or not. But you could you could just feel the pain as to how much had gone into that song and how much it had really encompassed her whole life. That almost yeah. might be a play in and of itself. But uh, her her life and and that her she talked about the connection to that song, and it may have been like some other interviews I saw, but it was really interesting to see how much of that really went into her performance of that song, the pain and agony of a lifetime of of almost being yoked by that song from the from the movie. Yeah, you wonder how, as a thirteen year old girl, mm-hmm. she connected with that much longing and dreaming of getting out of herself. You know. Uh, you know, hearing her sing it as an adult is different than when you hear the movie version of, of Over the Rainbow. Still, she has heartbreak yeah. in the voice. Yep, interesting Crazy. thing. Well, it's wonderful you bring these uh, wonderful things to light so that you can inspire others and everything. Uh, I, I guess uh, uh, go buy the book on Amazon is the .com we want to promote. Yep, uh, Amazon.com, Warhol Capote, one word. There you go. Thanks, Rob, for coming on the show. Chris, this very was so fun. fun. That's what we tried. Very, very smart and very, very entertaining. Well, we grew up in a, in the great age together. If I'm ever in your neck of the woods, I might look you up and say, "Hey, can I come look at your rock and roll you, library?" Oh my God, it's insane! <laughs> like it's so insane that wait that Jimmy Page came over to look at it. Did he really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I have that much Led Zeppelin stuff. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, what, that's a that's a whole other. We could be here for hours talking about that. I know it. <laughs> anyway, Rob, thank you very much. Everyone, go check out uh, the play, order of the book, wherever fine books are sold. But stay out of those alleyway bookstores. You might need a. Uh, I got mugged in one last week, and I had to get a tetanus shot. Uh, go wherever fine <laughs> books are sold. Uh, Warhol Capote, uh, a nonfiction invention by Rob. Ross. Uh, thanks for tuning in to my audience. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. Go to youtube.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Go to all of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and all those crazy places the kids are playing these days. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time.